Welcome to Under the Blanket. Here we are in the here and now under Miraji's blanket. And today's episode, we're going to start off with talking about talking. Speech. Um, I remember the Eightfold Path of Buddha, which is the fourth noble truth. And included in the Eightfold Path is speech, right speech. What does that mean, right speech, you know? Like, there's another line in Taoism that says, he who knows does not speak, and he that speaks does not know. Does that mean you never talk again? No, I don't think so. But I think what it means is you don't identify with he who speaks. I think it's hard to do this because you got to let go of trying to orchestrate your speech. But if you could just let go and just watch she who's talking, and then, or she who's talking, and you just let it flow out of you without any filters. And that's a, it takes a lot of trust, and it has to come from a quiet place inside. So it could easily be misunderstood as just saying whatever comes to mind. Because there's a moment of pause. There's a moment of consciousness in between the words that's silent, that guides the words, you know, as far as that. And uh, so speak about speech, or right speech, however you want to look at it, Ryan. All right. And hello. Good to be here with you. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is actually from uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. He wrote a book called The Four Agreements, and I believe it's the first one is be impeccable with your word. Um, for one, you know, meaning like really only say what you mean and to, to speak truth and to speak wisely. Um, you know, sometimes we tend to like, you know, just say whatever is top pops up in our head. And a lot, you know, a lot of times it's just like random and it's maybe negative or, you know, complaining and, and, and various things. And so like to, to be impeccable with your word is to really like slow down, to be conscious of every word you're choosing to speak uh, because words have power too so you know for example if you get angry you say something out of that anger those words are gonna have a bit of a destructive force behind them um, uh, as where whereas if you slow down and calm and speak from peace then the words will have more wisdom mm. uh i want to address that you and you said um choose words we choose to speak now i honor that way of viewing things. Uh, as far as I go, I, my whole process is about extricating myself from he who makes choices. Mm -hmm. You know, he who's sitting back there being like, I'm going to say this about uh, this topic related to this that this person said, or I can't say this because it's not true, or I get like, I, I just want to like let go of that and just let, because really I feel there is no choice. All those choices even though it seems like they're like, oh, I'm making a choice and there's some sort of free will, that doesn't really exist. It feels like that. So on one level, it sort of exists. But all those choices are interconnected with every other choice you made, every choice you make in the future, every choice in multiple lifetimes, every choice with every other life, the environment, you know, formlessness, infinite dimensions. So all of that is just like a domino. It's all like fully determined, like caterpillar to butterfly process. And we want to be like, oh, I'll be impeccable with my words. So I'm going to sit back and think of the right thing to say. And no, uh, that's cool. Someone else would do that. But if I did that, I'd feel it would be a big ego trip for me. Mm. 
So yeah, like uh, you know, I I really think it's it's nice to like I'll, I'll give an example. There's this place in the park called the Gazebo, and I've been going there for years. And there's all these people that regularly hang out with, uh, hang out there, as a group. And most of these people, you know, are drinking or have severe alcohol problems or other problems. But I hang with them anyway, and they think I'm the weird, freaky hippie. They call me Heart Man, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and they're like, "Why do you hug trees?" And you know, some of them like me, some of them don't, you know, and our changes in time, whatever. I still like to hang out. And anyway, so one of them's my friend too. So I should say that. Anyway, so so you know, like I, when I first started hanging out with them, I just was like quiet. You know, and I just listened and I would respond with occasional hippie stuff or whatever it is. But I didn't, it was all they would ever do, and they still do, is gossip. Gossip about everybody. And mm. if someone leaves the gossip circle, they gossip about who left. And everybody's gossiping. So for years, I didn't get involved with that. Finally, I was like, um, no, I just, I'm getting on this ego trip about it, trying to be so righteous. So I got into gossiping and I sort of just like don't filter. I just like let it out and uh, have a sense of humor. It's all just a movie. And that's just what my character is saying. And that may sound like, whoa, you know, you can't do that. You have to, like, you can't gossip. You're evil. Go to hell. But I don't see it like that. I see it as conscious gossiping. <laughs> Interesting. Um. Yeah, gossip is a tricky one. You know, it, I I don't know. To me, it's it's I, I don't judge. You know, for one, like if somebody wants to gossip, okay, that's their thing. I know for me though, it's usually charged with some kind of negative energy uh, in judgment and and complaining and you know just like not wanting someone to be the way they are and just I don't know. It, it, and I feel like it creates a lot of of deep internal internal pains and insecurities um so i i I do my best to not gossip um or to speak negatively about anyone well that's the thing gossiping can be negative or can be positive it's just talking about people and things that are going on so it could be both the way i look at it is playfulness to me it's very joyful it's playful it gets me out of my ego i'm sitting there watching the characters say all kinds of funny things Sometimes I get a laugh. Sometimes I get a bunch of laughs. It's all in jest, all in play. It's done with a love and appreciation of the movie of life. And I find it is like I'm sitting with my gurus of gossiping. I wrote a book about it <laughs> called The Gazebo. And I just go in there and I just turn the switch. They're all my gurus. The gazebo is my guru. The park is my guru. Now I'm going to sit back in the Haradiyam and let Eric just watch him say funny shit and like joke around and talk about people. I don't see it as a moral failing on my part, but maybe it is. But oh, anyway, I don't. I don't either. Suffering. I think. I think partly too, though, it's just like you know. So I think a beautiful part of this whole experience of life is we get to define and redefine what's spiritual for us. You know, if other people are are, are making it into some story that you're not supposed to gossip, well, that in and of itself is gossip and judgment. You know, so it's like. You know, I I don't tell other people what they should or shouldn't do. I kind of follow my thing, and, and but like you follow yours, and it's like you can do opposite things and both be right. <laughs> you know, yes. that's the cool, the cool thing about it. It's not right. It's not even about right or wrong. It's just about like honoring whatever you're feeling, whatever yeah. feels you know feels good. And it's like, 
seems to have some kind of a spiritual uh, benefit behind it. So, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. All right. Now I want to address the big taboo issue, truth and lies. Now, I want to first say that self-honesty is a necessary, a total necessary for the spiritual path. You can't lie to yourself as in, in, the, in your inner world. You have to be aware of your emotions and what they are, and you can't tell yourself stories that aren't true. Like, you've got to be really true with yourself. Now, when it comes to telling the truth around other people, I use the example of Miraji. Miraji was my guru, that is the guru, my guru now, who, um, well, he, he uh, is the, we named the podcast after him, Under the Blanket. And he told the truth. He told the truth about the oneness. He told the truth about Ram. But there are many stories that are true where he would say things that you could interpret as a lie. For example, one time a Canadian went up to him and Mirage, could read minds and he knew what was this guy was about. But he purposely said lies that weren't true about this man when he was reading the, reading the man's mind. He said what wasn't true. So he was lying. And then the guy leaves and he tells everybody in the room everything about the guy. He's like, he was really from this country and he came in a train and he did this and he did that. Yet, Mirage used to always preach, tell the truth. Now, that seems like a contradiction. Tell the truth, yet there he is lying. Isn't he a hypocrite? No, the way I look at it is, you, in life, we live in a capitalist society. People are at different places. Sometimes, like when, you're, when I, my girlfriend would be like, do I look, not my girlfriend, because she was hot, but like if I had a girlfriend that had like a, an unattractive body to my perception, and she's like, do I look fat in this dress? You know, I'm not going to say, yes, you do look fat in this dress. In fact, I was thinking about Michelle Pfeiffer right now or not say anything. So I'm not going to lie to her. So I'm going to just say, not say anything. No, I say uh, it's good in that situation to lie and say, you look so good to me and I could just eat you right up or whatever it was. Total lie. But I think it was the right thing to do. Another example, Nazis. When, you know, in Europe, they're hiding the Nazis. The Nazis come. Do you have Jews in this home? No. A lie just saved lives. You know, this whole, like, tell the truth so you don't ever tell a lie, blah, 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 is total bullshit. Telling the truth is about the oneness. It's about be, having the courage to go out and say it is all one. You know, like what you do, what I do. That is, to me, the truth. There is only one truth, that we are one. <laughs> so your take on that, the subject of telling the truth as far as speech, like impeccable with your word, like that book you're reading. Mm. And feel free to disagree with everything, you know? I don't, it, it, like you said before, it's not about who's right or wrong. We're all where we're at, and we do the best we can. Yeah, well, two different things come up. Uh, one, I do try my best to be honest as much as I possibly can. Um, however, you know, in, I think a beautiful way of, of kind of understanding it is through the, the yamas and the niyamas of the eightfold of the eight limb path in uh, Patanjali of yoga. And the the first and second uh, yama, which are like these moral codes, the first one, I believe, is um, ahimsa, which is nonviolence. So to live in a nonviolent way as much as we possibly can is a path to enlightenment. The second one is sattva, which is truth. And it's to be truth, to walk truth. Not just the, I, I believe, yes, definitely the spiritual truth of the oneness, but even 
even just being true in truth of our words. And, you know, there's a different there's a difference between like lying as far as playing and being silly or having fun, but then lying to to strengthen your your sense of self. Like sometimes we've probably all done this to some degree. Someone asks you, uh, hey, have you seen this movie? And you just say yes, even though you haven't. And you just say yes, you've seen it. And then, like, it's going to make, I don't know why, but, like, you just say it, and you're like, wait, I haven't seen that movie. But you've already lied, so you kind of have to go with it and, and smile or laugh about whatever it is. And and, and so, like, those little sneaky lies um, are kind of trying to protect some kind of self-image, and those have a karmic consequence to them of feeding our egos. Um, and so, like, I had to catch myself sometimes in those lies, and I would just be like, oh, wait, what am I saying? No, that's not true. I would just call myself out in the middle of a lie. <laughs> um, yeah, and, yeah. I, I, I would like to say that I try to be honest in most situations, but my point of view <laughs> is when it comes to that level of lying and tell the truth, I'm a moral relativist. I really think you have to examine each situation for yeah. each situation. There are situations where lying is the right thing to do, and I think those people that are unwilling to realize that that creates bad karma. There's some situations yeah. where it would be better to lie than tell the truth. And by them sticking to their moral absolute do good or bullshit ego, they miss the opportunity to really help someone through a lie. Example, nursing home. I worked in a nursing home. These people have dementia. She wants to believe her daughter is me. What am I going to do? Say, no, I'm not your daughter. That's the freaking truth. But I would say, I am your daughter. The lie was good. And these people that go up there and they preach them from their moral high ground of never telling a lie, they can go screw themselves in Macy's window. <laughs> yeah, you know, one way that and I agree that it is relative, you know, this different situations require different things. Sometimes, like when a child asks a certain question, you just can't give them the real answer. So you have to kind of you have to like pat it or you have to kind of lie about it. But it's it's when it's done consciously and not just to like feed something. Um, but also, you know, with the eightfold path, there's, there's a, a, you know, there's a symbolism in the fact that ahimsa, nonviolence comes before sattva truth, meaning that you don't want, because truth can be used as a sword. It can be used as a weapon. I, there are times where I would I say something out of anger and call somebody crazy. And yeah, or I'd call them like they need, you know, they need to go take medicine or something. And, and, and maybe, yeah, there was truth in that. However, it was inappropriate because it was coming from a violent place. I didn't want to help them. I wanted to piss them off. So I was speaking a truth out of anger and out of violence. And therefore, that would not be, according to the, uh, him, the Yamas, you would, you would not tell the truth in order to avoid the violence. To, to you know to, to maintain like kind of like what you asked about like if a girl asks how I look you don't say you look fat because you know how that would just like destroy their their all you know that whole insecurity and everything so it, but maybe you don't say you know I, I do try not to lie like intensely like oh you look so amazing blah 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 it's just more like something simple maybe just like yeah you look great um, although honestly I think too is even if, like, somebody, what, like, if they said, do you look fat, I, I wouldn't necessarily even say yes or no, just be like, that's a silly question, like, fat doesn't matter, you shouldn't even be asking me that, like, I would change the question, I would probably wouldn't answer a question like that, that would ask me to lie, or that would kind of put me in a situation where I, 
felt like I needed to lie, um, I would like flip it around or something. All right, but, so I got a story yeah. about Ramdas and Maraji. So Ramdas, uh, Maraji would tell Ramdas, tell the truth and love everyone. And he's been going around, you know, he was very high when he came back from India and he did love everybody. But that, as the years passed and Be Here Now was published, he came down from that high from India. And he was uh, struggling with anger and suppression of not liking people. Like he would say, oh, I love you and be all like fake. And he was getting Mm -hmm. very phony Mm -hmm. holy, very phony holy at that point. Yes, when he first came and what Be Here Now is based on, he was in a high loving state. That is certain. But he lost it. He lost it by the time the book's huge. And he's going back to Mirage, desperate to find out how to deal with being this complete phony. And uh-huh. then he asked Mirage, like, and he's like, tell the truth and love everybody. So he's like, okay, I don't love everybody. I just don't. So I'm going to start telling the truth. So he starts going around, telling everybody in the set saying what he thinks of them and how angry he is and how they do this wrong and think this wrong and everything that's wrong, picking apart every little bit of their ego and perversions and this, that, and the other thing. And to the point where he's like, Spilling people's foods and throwing food in people's face, and Miraji's there, and Miraji calls him over, and he's like, "I hate everybody, Miraji, except you." And I just, I'm so angry, and I just, the tr- that's the truth. You told me to tell the truth. The truth is, I'm angry. And he says, "Ramdas, you know, I told you love everyone and tell the truth." And he looks, and then Ramdas is going, and then he pulls his beard or something and looks at him directly in the eye, like face to face, like he's like, "This is now. I'm not fooling around anymore." tell the truth, and love everyone. And he, all of a sudden, he had a vision of his, uh, him in um, a casket. Like, and it was, his old self died, and like for a second, he was aware that he did, in fact, behind the anger, behind the ego, love everyone. And I, when Ramja, that's what Maraji was saying by tell the truth and love everyone. He's saying, tell the truth that you really love everyone. He's not saying be sattva. Sure, sattva's great, but that's the golden chain at a certain point. It's more ego. You have to get to that place where you just surrender, and it's all just an unfolding, determined process. And morals, you're beyond morals, and yet it's ironic because when you surrender, all of a sudden you you just end up doing morals naturally instead mm-hmm. of like, I have to do it. Another self-hatred judgment of yourself trip. Not you particularly, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For sure, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, do you love everyone, Ryan? I, I really do. Yeah, I do. Um, and, you know, I think I kind of got to this place, though, of really loving everyone, partly with the same way Ram did, you know, of, like, admitting where I didn't have this genuine feeling and investigating that, looking into that. Not just hiding it because I felt like it was wrong or, or I wasn't supposed to, you know, but you have to, there is this like you do have to be real about what's going on in your head, what's going on in your emotions, because like you said, if you're going around saying I love you and I love you, but deep within you, you don't feel it. Well, well you got to look at that juxtaposition and call it out, um, because the only way you're going to get to really feeling it is through the truth of, the, of recognizing that you're not feeling it, which just means you're in a bit of ego. And truth dissolves ego, or like awareness dissolves ego. Um, so Yeah, yeah, I have to, I, I am on a similar path. Like, my whole path is catching myself on ego trips. 
And I yeah. go, I catch myself on maybe like a lot of ego trips in a day, but I also get back to that place where I love everyone, where it's all me, where it's all self. Like, I will tell the truth right now. I'm aware that the whole entire cosmos is myself and I'm completely fulfilled in this place. I am, I love everyone. I am everyone. I'm everything. I'm total blessed and everything. And it's really simple and it's humble. It's just humble. And I'm aware of this intense, really triggered ego that the slightest little thing will go Mm. wrong. The slightest thing, like my computer won't work fast enough for my phone. (laughs) <laughs> and I see my ego getting triggered. Yeah. Now, I if I fool myself and so, oh, I, I still love everyone. I'm here and now. That would be the opposite of what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is, like, catch myself. Oh, I was on an ego trip. And that little spark of awareness that caught, dive into that. And that's the here and now. That's the place beyond time and space. And there's like a, there's, like, a part of the ego that's helpful with this that's called the noter. It's, like, this place within the ego and the mind that just notes phenomenon. And if you could mm. use that as like leverage into the Harabiyam. Yeah. And, and that's where like, that's, you know, it's interesting. It's just like the whole concept of truth is it has different levels. It has different meanings. I mean, in one level, I would say awareness itself is just like a beam of truth. You just see what it is as it is without all the extra mind junk and story and, and drama and problem, you just see through the illusion. Um, what I'm going to say now is going yeah. to probably upset one of my listeners, but <laughs> all my speech, all my thoughts are lies. Oh. The only truth to me in reality is beyond words, is beyond concept, is beyond speech, is beyond thought. It's silent, and I name it, because it's okay to name it, it as many names, and I call it Ram. Mm. And that's all there is, Ram. If some thought comes up, Ram. Some speech comes up, Ram. Ram mm-hmm. comes up, Ram, Ram, mm-hmm. Ram. And I find myself, like, it's helpful for me just to go, if I have all these thoughts, I just go, just thoughts. And if mm-hmm. I have all these uh, speech, that's just talk. Like, not just sit back there and go, which thoughts are the right ones, which ones aren't. Just, I just want to be here, right? Yeah, to be right here. And being is not in thought, is not in speech. Mm-hmm. And just watch this uh, crazy, freaky, hippie, bipolar nutcase. There's some <laughs> plenty of psychedelics just, like, ramble on about nonsense. And listen to everyone else ramble on about nonsense. And yes, obviously, I still got to do the zip code reality and the reality of people's names and the realities where a lot words really matter. And, you, you know, you could hurt people with words and the world where thoughts matter. I'm talking about this level where nothing happens. Now, that level is like my ground. And then I sort of like approach the other level where what I say matters where on the podcast and how people listen to it and all that kind of stuff matters. And it's important. And, and the words have power. You know, and the thoughts are important to pay your bills and whatever. So, like, it's all about balance to me at this point. Mm. So how do you balance that that place that's beyond the words, that's beyond the concept, and the place that needs words and concepts to function with the spacesuit in the physical plane with other people and whatnot? 
Yeah, it's a wonderful question. Um, really, it's when I first got into went to into spiritual practice and awakening, and like I would experience, I you know I got into touch with silent mind, the no mind place, uh, through Eckhart and like Ramana Maharshi was very much one to point to the silence, um, and but it took a while before it really clicked that yeah the silence is really the answer, <laughs> but. We use all of these fancy words to kind of get us back to the source, which is the silence, which is, and, and then, so like I would meditate and I'd merge into the silence, feel the bliss, the oneness, the connection, and then thought would, you know, pull me back in, pull me away from the silence, right? Any thought breaks silence. Even the words I'm using right now, it's breaking the divine silence. And so for a while there was this tug of war in me this part of me that knew i was the silence and then this big part of me that thought i was the voice in my head and my ideas and my beliefs and all this thought even the spiritual thought is is just sound it's sound from some place in me and there is this tug of war of like who i really am between those two and I really didn't start to experience deeper levels of enlightenment until I really realized that I should be spending most, the majority of my time in inner silence. And then just a little bit of time in mind, in words, like we're talking right now. But when I first got into it, I was like, my brain liked the idea of, okay, I'll be in silence for 10% of my day, and then I'll be in thinking 90% of my day. When in reality, it should have been more flipped around. 90% silence, 10% thought. I um, find it's useful, this analogy, like thoughts and sensations and feelings are like clouds. And it's, they're, they don't block anything for me. Like, they are just floating through me. I'm the sky. This formless, vast peace. This being where nothing happens. This divine light. And then, you know, sight floats through this cloud of sight. And it doesn't take me away from anything if I don't identify with it. If I remain in the awareness, the sky, it just goes through me. And then the knee goes through me. And pain, when they pull me in to identifying with it and I suffer, it's usually something that has to do with ego triggers. You know, like, for example, the sexual impulse sometimes could pull me in and I'm like, I'm really horny. You know, and then like, what am, I, what am I saying? I'm horny. I am the awareness. I'm not this just movement within my genitals, you know? And then I have to calm down and, like, be here now and all that kind of stuff, be back in the awareness. So, it really, it's amazing what I know triggers the ego at different times, you know? Sometimes a certain thought pattern really triggers or something someone does, you mm-hmm. know? And some things really trigger, like, deaths and, like, tragedies and, like... Mm-hmm stress and like global events (laughs) sometimes though they can be like really put you into awareness as far as i'm concerned like i've had times where someone would die and i just got so intensely into samadhi the next day you know it's strange uh and like been i've been in times when uh someone was fighting with me and being really mean and abusive and i'd get i'd defend myself and i'd get caught up in it which i i i was good because i have to stand up for myself but also, I was sometimes able to, just through my sheer presence and love, 
that person will calm down and feel listened to and feel like I'm not scared of them. If I have a little bit of fear, it ruins it. But if I'm able to stay in that mm-hmm. fearless St. Francis type vibe state that I get in once in a while, like then the person would calm down and tell me what was wrong. Uh, they'd still be very upset, but they'd be able to feel listened to. And I think like the peace program was an example of that she used to wander around in like crazy situations with no money and just, you know, to rely on people and our travels and our mission for peace. Occasionally she went into some bad neighborhoods and, you know, she was able to, you know, like people would be like, wow, she has like a vibe. I could feel it. And it would mostly work. But one time a guy that was really mentally disturbed attacked her and she just looked him in the eye with no fear. He immediately stopped. She ended up nursing him in, t- in his apartment with his mom, got him and his mom to make up and stop drinking and all this kind of stuff. So wow. it's amazing the power of love. But we're reaching the end of the show. This has been Under the Blanket with your host, Baba Here Love. Now, Ryan, a few last conclusions about speech. Just less than a minute. Go. Silence is 